Ilya is guitarist and vocalist for Perth metal band Illyria, whose album The Carpathian Summit is out now. They'll be supporting Circles in Perth on the 20th of July and Polaris in Bunbury on the 31st of August. Ilya, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, pleasure's mine. So I want to go back to the beginning. How did the band start? Um, I think the, the most distinct memory that I have of um, starting Illyria was being in ancient history class in year 11. And I was studying, uh, I was studying ancient Rome and uh, I was looking at a map in the history book and there was a province called Illyria. And I asked my teacher about it and he says, oh, yeah, it's a uh, you know, very you know, famous region, lots of Roman emperors and stuff like that. And I was always attracted to it because um, it was from the same region where I am also from heritage-wise being Serbia and Greece. So um, it was a nice connection for me to start um, a solo project with the same name that's similar to mine and also culturally um, similar. So um, that started off in about, yeah, 2013, late 2013. Um, and then uh, George came on a little bit later because he was looking for a band to start with that similar style of music. And um, we released one song on the internet and the other three guys in the band joined in once they started seeing some progression. And it all goes from there. Now, obviously, there's a sort of, as you mentioned, heritage-wise, there's a specific connection. But in terms of, like, uh, like sort of relating it back to ancient history, do you have any specific interest in ancient history and those kind of topics? I love it. I love the humanities. I love everything that's in the social sciences um, categories. Um, I'm currently uh, starting to become a primary school teacher, and I'm hoping to um, engage in the humanities a lot um, for the next generation of Australian students. So um, even outside of music, um, it impacts a lot in my life. Question about the logo. I, I really love it. It's kind of different to a lot of bands you see. I think metal bands can be, you know, to, for better or worse, a little bit formulaic in the way they um, have their logos designed. Where, where, where did the impetus for that particular logo design come from? Um, there was two moments that I can think of, and that is um, George and I were thinking about what would fit for our um, album art, you know, because we had this um, drawing um, that was beautifully um, drawn by a young artist here in um, my city, uh, and we wanted to make we wanted to respect that, and uh, it sort of was like, well, let's just make it a signature, you know, like it's part of our art. So um, we sort of went for that, and also uh, a lot of bands in post black metal tend to have a handwritten logo, so uh, we sort of like to categorize ourselves. Well, in that sort of vein. So, yeah, that's probably the history of it. And uh, a really good friend of mine in Brisbane um, called Lachlan, um, shout out, buddy, um, he did it. Uh, he gave us two logos, um, the one that's on our albums and the one that we put on posters if needed. And uh, last question before we start, start diving into the album. Um, the band has three guitarists. Yes. Which is, I know, you, you come across a few bands which have three guitarists, but like... Uh, uh, not me, not, not really composing music. That sort of seems to me to present a challenge, but also an opportunity. Uh, the really banal way of putting it. But how, how do you? How, how does that kind of inform your music? The way you, the way you write um, your music. Well, well, there's three. Uh, well, the three guitarist approach is quite interesting. You got the Iron Maiden approach, or you got the Whitechapel Chelsea Green approach. And uh, for us, we're definitely more leaning towards the Iron Maiden melodic. Um, lots of layers, lots of teamwork instead of just all playing in unison for one big wall of sound. So um, the way that I compose my music uh, has always had three guitarists in mind because I love harmonies. I love um, lots of layers that I enjoy from classical music. Um, you know, I don't want to incorporate it into my um, you know, brand of post-black metal. And um, there are moments, of course, when you know, there's only two, it sounds like there's only two or one guitar playing, but I always have... Uh, an idea that we're working together as a team and when I'm singing as well I'm not very um, confident in playing and singing at the same time and it's really nice to just drop out and just focus on singing knowing that two other guys are there supporting me you know so that's pretty much our philosophy of why there's three guitarists and we love it and um, we like being versatile with it. So you released your debut back in uh, I think it was 2016 when did you start working on this one? Uh, roughly the same time period, actually. Um, I'd I'd consider um, like canonically or thematically that they're actually intertwined a lot. Um, the first album is 
for me, uh, the Carpathian Summit Part 1. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to make it so black and white and I wanted people to really delve into it. But I think now after a few months, I think a few people have noticed it. And, um, you know, for new listeners that want to be captivated, that's another thing that's a bargain is that really it's like 20 songs put together. You released Swan Song back in 2017. Talk, talk a little bit about, like, obviously it's a nice kind of taste, but the, the album was um, sort of, you know, nearly two years away at that stage. We trying to what were we trying to do with that? Were you trying to give people a, a sort of taste of what was to come? Was that kind of I don't know something you were you're working on in particular? Talk, talk a little bit about that. We talked uh, together as a band after album one because we were still checking if we wanted this to be a serious thing or not because we we're all playing in different bands at the time. Illyria was actually technically a side project for all of us, and um, the interesting part was is that. Um, you know, album one was actually program bass, guitar, program drums, all um, MIDI keyboard instruments and just guitar and vocals were real. And um, we wanted to see what, you know, it would sound like if we stuck with our producer and did real drums and recorded everything quite authentically. And um, once we heard what Swan Song reception was like, we were like, well, you know, for Carpathian, let's actually do everything ourselves and, self-produce and make everything authentic. And um, that's why it took quite a while. So you, you talk about the albums being intertwined, but like I can – maybe it's just me because I was sort of listening to them one by uh, – listened to the first one, uh, then the second one recently, and then um, listened to the second one again just today. Um, uh, is, is it just me or is there sort of a, a progression um, musically there? I'd like to think so because um, One Mind is um, great and all, which is what album one is. It's basically just me just tuning out these ideas and having the boys bounce off with their unique department. But um, this album um, was us together as a five-piece. Um, all our minds strung together and in tune and, you know, we've developed some great chemistry and we really are so proud of the songs that we've written. And um, there's no stopping us and I think um, we're just going to keep on getting the momentum rolling. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into that a little bit. How does the band write a, a song in sort of broad outlines? Uh, as a 21st century writer, um, it's a lot different to what people might traditionally think it is in the sense that uh, in the, in, when the first rock band started coming through, I think you always get the vibe that they're in a garage and just jamming the songs together you know, and, and trying to work something out. But for, for, for us, we all just basically use software on our computer and just write stuff and write each other's parts. And then um, we'll get the meat and potatoes of the song, but, you know, and then we'll talk about it afterwards and maybe sprinkle some oregano, get the olive oil out, you know, get all the herbs and spices, and then we'll finally start to gel. But it's very independent. We all basically do our own little um, – you know, our own little goals for our songs, and then we come together and jam it. So let's focus on you specifically. You've, you've got some time. You you want to work on something for the album. How, how do you go about doing that? What, what's your process? Um, it, 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 it changes what the, in, uh, the inspiration or the key moment is. Um, maybe I will binge play video games for 10 hours and yeah, I'm in a deep, you know, little campaign where I'm just like, wow, I'm so inspired to, you know, write a song about this feeling that I've just gathered or I've watched the news or, um, you know, I've read a book and uh, all of a sudden I just crank on the computer and like, I mean, I'm in a mood to write about this, um, you know, this moment. And it's, it's very in the moment. I don't just um, sit down and go, I'm going to write today. You know, it's, I've got to, I've got to feel right in the right mindset uh, emotionally also, um, you know, uh, it's pretty cool with the technology we have. You don't even have to have a guitar in your hand anymore. You can just um, type in some numbers on a on a score sheet, and it plays the notes that you want. So you were talking sort of a bit about like ideas and um, like uh, fe- feelings. How does that translate to kind of musical notes? Like what what is what happens between then and there that might start to form the outline of a song? Um, I mean, uh, there's a big emphasis on music theory. Um, you know, you can you can know everything about um, what notes to play, what chord progression you want, but sometimes you need to have that conventional initiation inside your mind to, um, I don't know, to 
to help engage you, um, it's 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 quite hard because it's it's more of an action speak louder than words sort of thing. I mean, I think the tool guitarist um, says it the best is that he just he doesn't really care too much about music theory because music theory um, it's it's great to have it on paper, but when it comes to your hands uh, and your voice or whatever whatever part of your body you want to express with, um, you know. Uh, it's it's just it's just hard to put into words. It's 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 an action speak louder than words approach for me personally. Um, you can you can crap on about all the you know we play in a minor scale, a key chord progression, whatever you know, metal to change, all this type of stuff. Um, it all goes out the window for me. Um, when I'm in the zone. Um, you can look at you can you can look at it later in a song, but um, to to think about that stuff in the moment and then um, in, you need you need some emotional and mental engagement. Personally, for me, I can't speak on behalf of the other members of the band, but for me, yeah, um, it all just goes out the window and I just love what I do. I want to um, talk about a couple of songs on the album, sort of go through some parts of them. Um, the Carpathian Summit is kind of, um, I know, focus of the album. It's the longest track. Talk a little bit about how that one came about. Um, I watched a documentary. Um about some Orthodox monks in Greece. Um, just, you know, they, they live on an island um, called Mount Athos. And um, it really inspired me because they just literally rejected um, the materialistic world. And um, I wanted to capture that feeling in my music where you're basically setting off away and living a, a very peaceful sort of life and a journey. And, um, of course, the, the big the big cool part is you know, the trumpet and stuff like that. And that was a really cool addition that um, some of us thought of and spicing up the songs because, you know, we're big fans of, you know, orchestral um, pieces. And um, it was cool to have a real trumpet also recorded. So, um, you know, I wanted to just uh, simulate that um, or emulate that journey, that um, decision. Um, They're big choices to be tranquil and alone in a in a world that's so populated, but to find peace, um, I wanted to capture that in that song. Echo Flower, two parts, um, very kind of different parts as well, which I, th- I find really fascinating. How, how that song came about, and what, why, why is it in two parts? Um, I... I think for Echo Flower, the most interesting part was that was one of that was lyrically me expressing one of the first times I've ever properly ever felt in love uh, with someone else, and um, it's a new feeling. It's something that's very it's a shock to the system, but also a good. Um, it's a positive feeling, and um, I, I wanted to write something upbeat um, with the with my background being in you know more of the core genres, the metal. Um, I wanted to find a way to. Um, you know, progressively incorporate that with the Illyria trademark, you know, sound with three guitars, wall of noise, massive harmonies and blast beats. And I just wanted to push myself and, um, you know, add in some prog metal at the end and um, quiet guitars at the start to really, you know, um, warm you into the, um, you know, the big climax. So, um, yeah, it was really nice. And to get Alex from Statues, um Matt, my drummer, his other band is the same as Alex's. And I wanted to show that, you know, when it comes to guest musicians, we don't care about getting big names. We just want to get, we just want to put our mates on the record. And um, I thought he suited perfectly for that track. Wilderness, very kind of gothic, um, gothic rock, post-punk vibes to it. Does that come from any member in particular? Because, yeah, I, I found it very, very distinct. Yeah, um, it was really funny because um, I think George and James were the biggest pushers for that song, um, the other two guitarists. But for me, um, it was just – it was actually sort of a, sort of a taking the mickey out of them, to be honest, because we were sort of jamming at band practice and we are like – we had this disco beat sort of thing and um, I started playing that riff at the start and all of a sudden we're like, hell yeah, let's, let's keep doing it. So that was one of the first times that we actually jammed a song together to actually initiate it. So um, it wasn't actually one of those ones where I sat down on a computer and um, thumped it out. So it's it definitely reflects that. Um, and lastly, before I get to a couple of other things about the album, the second day of spring, um, almost entirely instrumental except for two lines. 
why don't you want to sort of keep it mostly kind of about the instruments, but then add your little sort of bit into into the the song? Um, I think one of the reasons why that was an artistic decision, um, because when it came to Cold Summer, Autumn Fades Away, Second Day of Spring and Winter's Wedding, um, they all intertwine over the album being a, being about a same love interest. And um, I wanted to really use that song as a way to just, um, you know, uh, express a way of um, indicating love not through words but through my music instead and singing to um, people, uh, not just the person that I, you know I'm focusing on, but for anyone who's in love to really focus on and think about what it's like being in love with someone else and just having a nice intimate moment. Um, when it came to the words, I think – um, it was more of a climatic decision to just, you know, um, symbolic, symbolically express my thoughts um, and then go back to the instrumental. So, yeah. Mm. I was actually going to ask you about um, the relationship between those four songs. Why, 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 why pick um, the sort of thematic overarching idea of, of seasons for those, um, those particular concepts? Uh, I think it was me trying to rip off uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons in a way of doing it my own way. So, um, you know, and I've seen lots of bands do the whole, you know, summer, winter, and, you know, it's, 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 quite, it's quite common in lots of stories to have, you know, um, a narrative that's set in different seasons expressing different parts of a story through the energy and the temperatures and all that stuff. And I wanted to just make that pretty blatant and easy for the listener. Um, because I don't want to write music for myself too. I, I'm, I'm representing four other guys in my band and I've got listeners also to consider to relate to through my lyrics and I don't want to get too personal. I want to keep it nice and general. Um, and I feel like that's a really good way to just connect to people and just know that we all feel the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to tone down a little bit more on vocals and lyrics. Um, in terms of the vocals, I feel like they're a little bit even more varied than the, the, the first one. Was that something that you were kind of working on in general? Is that something that kind of came out of this music being a bit more, um, I know, progressive, experimental? Oh, well, when I first recorded the, I recorded the first album, I was like 17, 18. My voice was still pretty new and weak to it all. Um, this is technically only like my second band that I started doing vocals in. So the first album was me just sticking to my strengths and not pushing myself too hard. I felt confident with my high scream. And when it came to clean singing, I just start stuck to a very um, comfortable range and not used to much power. But um, with the second album now, uh, you know, I was 21, 22 when I, when I finished recording it. And I felt like I've been, a, I've, I've grown and progressed a lot as a musician in terms of vocal um, versatility. And I've added a few more techniques to my repertoire and um I wanted to just keep on showing people that we're going to keep on progressing and going further in our music and vocally, especially, um, you know, it keeps me motivated too. Mm-hmm. Lyrics. How do you approach these? Like where, where do they come into the, the, the songwriting process? They're the very last. Oh, actually, let me rephrase this. They're the first thing I consider before I write the music, but um, I need to write the music first before I start writing them, if you understand what I mean. Um, I I think of a feeling and I know what I'm going to write about, but I wait until I finish the music until I start the vocal composition. So, yeah, um, the instrumentals are recorded first and then I do the vocals. And what kind of goes into the writing of those lyrics? Are you considering, I don't know, in, internal stuff? I know I'm just going over stuff that you probably consider blowout, internal stuff, um, sort of outside influences of, of culture, experience, um, events. How, how do you incorporate those into uh, like the, the lyrics that you're writing? Um, so I, it is personal stuff, but it's also it also can be external stuff. Uh, I can be triggered by um, an event that happened, and I want to write about it. Um, or, um, you know, it's just a, just a mere feeling of, you know, a reflection of, you know, something that happened to me in the past or in history or around the world or even, you know, other, other members in my band have a story to tell that I engage on, but I do 100% write the lyrics myself. Um, but 
I mean, I like to keep things very general and plain in the sense that I want the, I want the bands, I want the listener to just um, stay captivated in a way that it's not too personal that they lose traction and they want to feel re- related, but also keep it in riddles as well with lots of symbolism, figurative language, um, uh, to, to still keep it quite um, entertaining and not so bland. Um, like maybe, for example, um, you know, I like to mention past um, historical events um, such as resurgence when I mentioned, you know, the Tower of Babel or Babylon, um, you know, even though it's talking about something totally different, I just use that. So, yeah.
moving on to kind of the more technical side of the album, um, as I think you mentioned, uh, recorded, mixed, and mastered by your bassist Daniel. Talk yes. a little bit about that experience and like what he what, what his background is in, in this kind of uh, work. Um, Daniel has always had a keen uh, ear and eye for production. Um, it's definitely something that is he's more leaning to than, for example, uh, playing live shows. Um, he's definitely more he definitely finds his home in the studio. Um, and we saw that potentially a lot in the first album when he gave lots of advice to, uh, and constructive uh, criticism to our producer and lots of commentary um, about the first album. And we started going to ourselves like, you know, should we just 100% DIY this, you know, Daniel? Do you want us to help support you? And um, it was a really fun two years um, making the Carpathian Summit because it's 100% us. Um, it's symbolically what we want to be as well. We want this to be our band. We want to do everything. And um, we're, a, we're an independent Western Australian band and we really want to showcase that and be like, this is us. And even when it comes to production, it's just as important as it is being on stage and even writing it. And we, we wave the flag very high and, and uh, we, we're really looking forward to seeing what more we can do because now we've set a nice foundation production-wise of what we want. And we want to keep on growing that. A um, couple of basic things remaining for the album. Why did you choose the title, The Carpathian Summit? Um, well, Illyria is quite close to Carpathia, and I wanted to have a goal of aspiring to somewhere beyond, but not too far away that it's ridiculous. Um, so I thought, why, because someone said to me once that um, uh, listening to your music is like climbing a mountain, and then hitting the peak is a really blissful feeling. And then coming back down again feels like, you know, the journey's complete. And it really inspired me because I was like, well, then I want to keep on doing that in my music. I want it to feel like a roller coaster ride of emotions. And um, when it came to, you know, writing about the Carpathian Mountains and being so close to home in Europe, um, I feel like it's just a, just a lovely concept that I sort of kept for myself. But um, I think it sounds cool as well. Who did the artwork and, and what was their brief? <laughs> so um, Matt and I were discussing about keeping the same sort of vibe as the first album art, which was, you know, a nice artistic piece. And um, I was looking for artwork that was, you know, nice with mountains and it was too modern looking and it was too, I don't know, too gross for my liking. We're quite picky. It took us two years, three years to release this. Um, you know, we've we've been we've been known to be a bunch of overly pedantic perfectionists, and um, it really got to the point where I was Google imaging, searching, um, you know, medieval art, mountains, um, snow, and uh, all of a sudden I see this lovely Russian painting that was made in the eighteenth, nineteenth century, and uh, Ivan Shishkin is unfortunately. Um, you know, he's not alive in our era. He's from a couple of eras ago in art, and um, because he's because he was um, before the Soviet Union, I think all Russian do, uh, all Russian pieces before 1917 is free for use. So we don't have to worry about copyright or anything. And um, we loved using his artwork for all of our CD art. Mm. So yeah. Well, one of the things that sticks out to me about it is bears. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have a comment beyond that, but um, yeah. Uh, the bears, the, the little cubs. Um, uh, I wish there was one more, just so it could be every band member. But um, <laughs> but um, I'm really glad that we can keep on using the animal thing that we had from the first um, album because we just feel like yeah, lots of the album art uses either people lots of human um symbolism and we wanted to just keep the animal vibe going lots of our merchandise is just animals lots of different animals and we love nature we respect nature um we're very proud endorsers of um you know the environment and protecting mother nature and um father time so it's very it's very nice to have our album artwork that also keeps um, 
true to what who we are. Talking about you guys in a live setting, um, you played a, the album launch show a little while back. H- how did that go? It was really crazy to see 200 people there for us um, and the supporting bands, of course, and um, it was a victory for Western Australian music um, and art. Um, to see West Australian photographers, West Australian musicians at a West Australian venue, um, getting 200 people in for a 100% local night with different genres, not just black metal. We had psychedelic rock. We had post-rock. We had depressive, suicidal black metal. Um, it was crazy to see that no matter what um, people say online, uh, in person, um, I believe that the live scene is um, hitting a peak again in Perth, and it's because all these, it's because there's some really great synergy and music and art coming through. Um, it's a really great community. I'm so proud to be Western Australian. And um, that night is definitely one of the greater memories I've had being in a band. You, you talked a little bit earlier, I think, about this, but I want to go into a little more detail. How do you approach a live show? What are you trying to do when you play live? <laughs> um, try and keep J- uh, George and Daniel um, calm because they still get a bit nervous. But, um, you know, uh, I've been playing live shows since I was 12 years old. Um, so for me, it's, uh, I guess I'm pretty numb to the whole situation. Mind you, that, that, that show we did at the album launch was quite nervous wracking because these are all totally new songs we're playing live. And, um, when it comes to the older stuff, we like to touch it up once a week, but that band practice, but this new stuff is actually pushing us, um, virtuously. Um, because <laughs> it's actually quite hard music. We've really pushed and challenged ourselves as musicians because we didn't realize how um, serious this was going to be. And, um, you know, live-wise, we really try and just keep it simple. Um, but at the same time, um, we're always looking to keep on pushing ourselves um, musically, um, not just in the studio but also on the stage. I was doing a bit of browsing, as I do with every band, and I noticed that you played with Elcest and Bolt Gun. And I was thinking to myself, wow, Elcest, Bolt Gun, Lyria. That's a fucking amazing lineup. Uh, when, I said, when I said it was uh, playing the live show for our album launch was one of the greater memories, um, supporting Elcest was the best memory. Um, supporting Alcest, um, spending, you know, all sound check and stuff with Stefan. Um, I mean, Nage, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the main writer of, um, Alcest, um, he had a lot of time for us. He knows about us, um, especially, um, Indra as well. Um, you know, it's really nice to get the recognition, um, from people who influence you and, um, I cried that whole set that they played. I was crying in the front row. I had the best night of my life. Um, I've also supported other amazing bands too, like Pliny Nabel of the Scars, um, Caligula's Horse. Um, you know, it's just, it's really cool to just, um, instead of paying a ticket to go watch these bands, you can go there and actually play also. Um, I really feel like I've made it as a musician. Everything else now is a, is a bonus. Um, I'm so content. I can die, honestly. It's so beautiful. Um, I love it, and I want to keep it going. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, I want to finish up with a couple more general questions about you. Um, I, I think I think it was you. I was trying, having a bit of trouble tracking down who was who in the interview, but I, I think you mentioned your favourite person in history was St. Anthony the Great. Uh, am I yes. getting that correct? Cool, cool. That is correct. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Um, for me, after finishing high school, there was a little brief moment of my life where, um, I turned away from my Orthodox faith and, um, took in atheism a little bit more. Well, I'd say agnostic, actually. I still believed in something. I just sort of lost a little bit of my path in Christianity and, um, it was sort of reflecting my life and I was just really down and low and, um, not in a good patch. And um, I think one of the best things my parents did was help me get back into my faith. And um, instead of, you know, looking to the Bible and just, you know, keeping it quite um, PG, they really let me, they exposed it to me as an adult. And um, uh, the sayings of the Desert Fathers definitely helped me. And um, there's lots of um, monks and hermits from the early centuries of Christianity, uh, such as 
say Anthony the Great, and a lot of stuff that he said um, still motivates me and inspires me to this day. And um, everything I do is is God's work, and uh, I try to keep that going, especially in a genre like this where it's very you know difficult being a Christian in this climate. And um, you know, I try not to speak it out loud in my music. I've got four other guys in my band that you know I'm a Christian in a band. This isn't a Christian band. And um, I like to keep it, you know, to myself, but I must stay true as well. Um, and, yeah, St. Anthony the Great, um, a lot of his sayings um, helped me out a lot. And um, his story, um, despite how much history books um, embellishes things, um, I like I like the vision of it. And uh, I, try, I try and stay true to myself and my faith and my heritage and my culture. Mm, mm. No, I I do find that whole uh, section of Christian her- history very interesting. I mean, I, I, the Desert Fathers. I think it's 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 a real shame that they're not more well known. Um, I think um, Christianity suffered a lot in Western civilization because I feel like as an Eastern Christian, um, it's it's not very well known um, the history because of what the West has done. But um, you know, post. You know, the Great Schism and everything, but everything before 1054 AD is absolute quality content. Um, and for people that you know are like myself and were searching for a little bit after getting away, or you know never had it and want to look, um, definitely don't just look at a Bible that you get from a bookshop. And um, you know a lot of that's, uh, in my opinion, can be quite twisted and um, manipulated, especially um, by the Protestant and the Catholic Church, both. In the Orthodox Christian faith, um, I've found true peace for myself, and I'm not saying it's for everyone. Um, it's bloody difficult, but, um, you know, uh, for me, I find great comfort in it. Let's get back to the music. When did you start listening to heavy music? I've always been around it. Um, my parents are absolute rockers, um, bless them. Um, I might have gone a bit too far ahead for them in heaviness in some genres, but when it comes to post-black metal and um, stuff like that, that sort of obviously came later on in my life. But I grew up with 80s glam rock um, blaring on the car radio. Um, I pretty much know every single Bon Jovi song um, from New Jersey before. So um, it's pretty cool um, to have great supporting parents and loving parents that um, help um, push you with your passion because um, both my parents are very sporting, athletic, and my father's a professional soccer coach, and um, he's currently in Spain right now coaching the Australian national team in the, uh, for the Paralympics uh, soccer. So um, he definitely saw very early on that I wasn't too naturally gifted in sport, and he saw that I loved music, and he kept on pushing it, kept on pushing it. And um, uh, when it came to the metal, I think it was when I started picking up a guitar and I wanted to progress further with um, harder stuff to play, um, sounded cool. Um, I played classical guitar for a year. Um, despite how technically um, important it was for me, um, switching the electric, oh, my goodness. i pretty pretty sure I've got, like, a stack of guitar board magazines somewhere hidden in the garage that I've absolutely turned inside out from just playing so much. So, um yeah, that's that's pretty much what initiated it. Is it's family, I was sort of moulded by it. <laughs> so obviously, bands like um, I, I think I've seen Elsest, Death Heaven, um, very important. But I, I think something that's really key as well to you, um, kind of as a a musical writer, is other bands like um, Between the Buried in Me, Protest the Hero, The Contortionist. Talk, talk a little bit about those other bands. Um, when it was just George and I, I think the whole Alcest Death Heaven thing was pretty like blatant. Um, we were just, it was our side project in a way for us to just write that type of music. When we first released Cold Summer, it was clearly just us just, you know, making post rock and black metal fuse together. But when Matt and Daniel and Jane started joining the band, um, I played in, I played, I used to play in a progressive death metal band with Matt before, um, he was in the band, and as soon as he came in with his drumming, I was left with no choice but to bring in our BT Bam and contortionist elements. And um, you know, with James, he's very into the whole doom and um, you know, sort of that stone rock sort of vibe. Like he brought in lots of um, that ISIS kind of vibe as well. The band, and um, you know, Daniel, lots of Carnival, Porcupine Tree, 
um, that sort of thing. So we sort of, Illyria sort of just turned from uh, two guys in a cucumber shed jamming blast beats to um, five guys in a little jam room um, putting all our thoughts together and, you know, trying to make it work. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when did you start doing vocals? Um, I think I was 16 um, playing in the same band with Matt and um, I was doing backup vocals um, on guitar. I was just a rhythm guitarist at the time and um, I was just developing a little bit of a dog yell like a chihuahua and um, it's just grown, I guess. Over time, I've just gotten more into it. Are there any vocalists which are sort of influential in the way you've kind of approached that? I think the catalyst was Travis Ryan from Cattle Decapitation. That guy... Amazing. absolutely is a freak and um as soon as i started hearing um uh, monolith of inhumanity um that album is what made me go holy moly i want to do everything i can like this guy because he honestly does everything um the guy's a freak and um you know he's he's like one of those once in a generation um, musicians or athletes or anything like that he's like he's like the usain bolt of um metal vocalists and, um, you know, we're never going to experience another Tra- Travis Ryan, so just cherish it. Even my dad listens to cattle. That's how good they are. Like, <laughs> So I'd just like to have a ma- massive shout-out to cattle decapitation. And, but for pronunciation-wise um, and making sure that my clarity is good, um, I have to give it to um, Randall Blythe from um, Lamb of God. He really helped me too. So, yeah, those two guys together is what I try to go for. And when it comes to my sound, um, I guess I listen to a lot of deathcore guys. Like I think I just listened to that In Dying Arms Boundaries album nonstop and just tried to copy his high screams. Um, yeah. So there you go. That's a couple plugs. Last question. What have you been listening to, watching, reading, or playing lately? Okay. So playing. I'm playing a lot of Football Manager 2019 because my dad's in the game and I like to just you know pretend that I'm him. Um, I've also been playing lots of Rising Storm Vietnam because it's on Steam Summer Sales right now and um, Maud Howe. Um, when it comes to listening, I've been listening to a lot of the 1975, um, lots of The Smiths, um, lots of Slow Dive, Mogwai. Um, I'm kind of meddled out after Carpathian Summit. Um, that might be a hint of what's to come, but um, I'm still staying true, um, listening to lots of um, cool stuff. Um broad ranging from all the way from slam to, you know, jazz. So um, when it comes to watching, um, I'm currently re-watching Rome with my girlfriend, um, the HBO Rome. Uh, it's actually really good. Um, pretty much, yeah, um, reading. Um, I'm actually taking a break from reading because I'm currently on uni right, uh, uni right now and I don't really want to talk about my uni books that I'm reading. So um, that's kind of killing my vibe. But, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. 